Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, everyone. My name is David Reed, and welcome back to Dial the Gate, episode 151. Hope you uh, enjoyed our GateCon content uh, this past September. Um, I had some uh, uh, family uh, uh, things that happened. Uh, we were supposed to start back a couple of weeks ago, but uh, uh, we're getting into this now. Uh, I appreciate you joining. Alexis Cruz is joining us uh, this hour and uh, I'm thrilled to have him back. Uh, bef- uh, stay tuned after the show. I have a message uh, from Paul McGillian's family I'd like to share. Uh, before we get started, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will help the show grow its audience. And please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes and clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next few weeks on the gateworld.net youtube channels as this is a live stream uh, alexis is here to answer fan questions i'll be starting off with him first uh, we have moderators in the live chat who will be taking your questions uh, as well so uh, we will be sure to turn those around to alexis alexis cruz if I can get the, my my button here working right, and of course I'm. Hello. Hey. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing? I am well. I did not format this properly, so give me just a minute here. It's this is I'm getting you taken care of in real time here. So and the this I okay. So this is this is what this there we go. Okay. <laughs> The settings, I've been gone for a little while, Alexis, and things have changed. Let's just put it this way. Um, it's it's great to have you back. How is life? How are things going? Um, pretty good. Uh, they're uh, safe and quiet, and that's how I'm liking it these days. You know, peaceful. Um, and staying busy. I've been pretty busy this year and, and working quite a few different things and um going in a few new directions and it's been great it's been been great but you know settling into family life hasn't it's been quiet but not sedentary so it's been an interesting sort of mix that i wasn't quite expecting but it's it's been better than i expected i I thought i sort of had to do one or the other and it's turned out i could do both give me an example of of finding your way to strike a balance with well um well, it used to be, I think, and it's part of the, the, the sort of the whole paradigm mindset that you get in when, um, you know, when you're just sort of hustling for work or hustling for your career and your ambitions and all these other things. Uh, and you don't have anything else going on. There's a different energy. that mm-hmm. you And there's a different uh, carelessness that you'll have when you take risks, right? 
so uh, I found I planned a little bit less in that regard because I was free to be more careless. Uh, and now I have to be more careful, which has allowed me to actually like take a breath and think about things more than I did before. And I, you know, I guess I was always a thinker, but really um, calculating and what is worth my time, what is worth the value of my interest and my energy, because now I only have so much and not just because of my own reserves, but because um, some of those are reserved for other Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? So you're finding yourself being more selective. Right, right. Okay. And that, that just changes um, all the, the the happy things that are in my life. You know, and the quality of that happiness and the quantity of that happiness and how I'm able to appreciate it more in ways that I never could before. Are you more selective of the content that you want to take part in, considering uh, the possibility that your child is going to view it in the future? Or have you Uh, always chosen family friendly stuff anyway? Uh, No, yes, (laughs) not because of that. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay so, so uh it wasn't about that i was i was about family friendly stuff to begin with um in, in fact my own tastes are way way edgier okay always have been they always have been but early on uh i i sort of fell into this uh family friendly track in terms of the career work and mm-hmm. that's what was popping and i was good at that um and and i was with that thing um but my own taste was was edgier uh so it's not it's not so much about that and then and it's not so much about what like what my kid will see when i'm older um uh because he's going to be a lot like me (laughs) you're already seeing that huh (laughs) yeah okay you know he's going to take in everything he's going to we can't hide things from him uh and second and i think related to that it's a little different um in general I know it's sort of cultural patriarchy, I guess. Uh, you know, as as a guy, I can get away with a lot more in my work. I think um, that I don't have to answer for eventually. You know, by anybody's judgment, we just have a little bit more wiggle room with with that kind of thing. Um, if that's something that you care about, you know. Um, so that's not really so much. It's more about just. For my own sake, the value of like, am I having fun? Am mm. I am I telling a good story? Um, is my participation being valued? You know, like what I'm bringing to it. Like, are people digging it? Um, do you want more of that? Right. Uh, the the good time that you're having um, is where I'm more selective about things, and 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 I don't bother with. Like I'll certainly I'll do small roles and I'll do little cameos and I'll do little guest spots. I'll walk on things here and there, um, because they're all just sort of cogs in my bigger wheel. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to do the same cogs or um, uh, or a cog that you've seen before. <laughs> uh, 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 you know. Uh, so would Scara be off the table in a reboot? Relevant cogs, you know. Oh, okay. So Scara, Scara would not necessarily be off the table in a reboot. Oh God, no! That's a whole okay. different. That, that's like a a, a real thing. <laughs> that's one of the important cogs. That would be like a a, a real legit thing, you know. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, he would be a dad now. Well, I mean, an ascended dad. I got. Well, it depends on what they all want to do with the. Who knows what's going to be happening right now? Amazon uh, purchased well, if, MGM and depends. If like if they yeah. did a reboot, if they did a reboot, uh, my Scara isn't coming back for a reboot. I can guarantee you that. You know, not not my Scara. They could recast it. Uh, I'm not sure. Like they'd have to come up with something really spectacular to want to use the character mm. in order to recast it. And okay, great if if you do, but I think that you know, there's so many other characters no to put that much effort into. That's true, you know, because it you know you you'd have to reboot it and start the story all over again. So here you're introducing a character, in which case it could be any character. It doesn't even have to be Scar. It's you want you want um, insert sidekick. <laughs> You know, and, and and not to belittle it, just in terms of the the the, the archetype, right? Mm-hmm. Into a sidekick, and then fill it out, and then and 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 make it like we made Scara, mm-hmm. because that's essentially how it started. It's, here's the show, pop in, boom, and then turned into something. So they'd have to do that all over again, and, and they could absolutely do that. Or if it's like a sequel to, then they could bring back Scara. Again, it's all speculative. I'm, I'm neither writer nor producer. <laughs> but then they could bring it back as a now older, mature, whatever, and they'll figure out what that story is. Um, again, assuming that's the story they want to tell, you know, um, because there's so many different stories and everybody mm-hmm. within a thousand light years proximity to the project <laughs> has an opinion on what the story is going to be, you know, and uh, for Scar to be in it is going to be like 0.011. <laughs> oh, I don't know. We'll have to. Ideas. Um, I, I wish it would be more. I love the character. So does a lot of other people. I, I, I agree. But just thinking realistically. Right. Um, and then, of course, the third option is, uh, and I think probably my preferred, maybe most people's preferred after it's all said and done, is this idea of, um, bringing back the people that you've connected with and that you love in new ways, in a new role. Because ultimately, our franchise and our fandom is very meta-blurred, right? It's not just that you love the characters. You love the actors, <laughs> you know? And it's not just that you love the actors, you love the characters. And so there's, there's an interesting combination there that can be used and exploited right um, by everybody so like and that's what they did with you know with richard hatch on battlestar galactica like that's the move mm, right yeah that's the move. that agreed for everybody that's yeah. the in any context whether that's the move you, know? you got the best of both Bring worlds back, with that give him something phenomenal and juicy to, to that you know he can sink his seat into and, you know and, and you've got lightning in a bottle all over again from a completely different angle you know what um, I've seen, you did Law and Order SVU, uh, TV series called Blue Bloods. Um, what have uh, been number one, Dad? All right, there we go. <laughs> what have been uh, uh, any any particular highlights uh, in your work from uh, since we saw you last about a year and a half ago? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I did a play. Okay. Uh, up in the Berkshires in Massachusetts, uh, the Barrington Stage Company, very prestigious theater company out there. And uh, it was Anna in the Tropics uh, by uh, Nilo Cruz. 
And it's, it's I don't know the tropics is a very famous uh, play also the Pulitzer Prize winning play, and uh, and I've been wanting to do it for a long 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 time. Uh, a lot of several of my friends have done the play, and several of the people who originated the play are friends of mine or associates. So it's sort of a thing that's been peripherally Circling. around. Man, if I got a chance to do that play, that'd be okay. Really- uh, so the opportunity came up to do this up in the Berkshires and, and, and not, not just any opportunity, but with this phenomenal theater company and these great people attached. So it was not just the opportunity, but a golden opportunity <laughs> as, as it were. Uh, so I went in, uh, nailed it and, uh, you know, got in there and we did the play, uh, this summer. And uh, we opened to standing ovations and it was just, wow, like what a phenomenal experience, Um, certainly for the audience, because it's a wild, wild piece um, um, about this family in 1929 Mm -hmm. uh, who owns a cigar factory. Uh, and they're sort of struggling with the times as they're changing and trying to figure out how to move into the future or stay connected to the legacies of their past. And my character is very much the modernist and uh, and traditionally played as the foil, the antagonist. But I found a lot of um, nuances in the piece that I was able to sort of switch it up a little bit. He's still very much the foil, but there is another foil who is this lector who comes in the old days in these factories, they would hire lectors to read novels, famous works of literature, Tolstoy and um, Dickens. And, you know, and they would read out to the world while, while they, like while they worked, while they worked. Yeah. And wow. Help, okay. You know, ease the monotony of things. This is how a okay. lot of the educated labor force was educated as well, that they would mm-hmm. read out newspapers, things of the day, all these things. And they were these, you know, masterful orators of their time, uh, play, paid really well, what have you. So there's this sort of adversarial relationship between that guy who comes into the factory and my character who is running the factory but doesn't own it. Uh, and had a bad experience with a former lector who ran off with his wife. (laughs) But in the end, like he ends up being absolutely right about this guy because he's totally exploiting everybody. But everybody thinks because I'm the modernist that I'm the bad guy stripping away our traditions. So it becomes really um, this conflict between the old and the new, what is a part of our cultural history and and our, our, you know, our our emotional uh, legacies and what is it? What is just baggage, right? And mm-hmm. what can we afford to cut and what not cut? And what is what do we cut for survival? And what do we keep for survival? Um, and, so, and, you know, in there, it's mixed within this backdrop of what you would expect of uh, 1929 Cuba. So, you know, lots of vibrant colors and sweat and sensuality. And, you know, all these things were a part of it. And it was, so it was a remarkable experience as a spectator and then for us as actors as well and for me it was one of my well not one of my first i've done bad guys before but he was supposedly he was supposed to be a bad guy Mm. he wasn't actually a bad guy he was really just caught between a lot of different circumstances and so i i went into it you know there's this idea of of uh when actors play bad guys that they're they're the, the the character you love to hate and so I wanted to do something 
uh, reminiscent of that, but upside down. And I want it to be uh, the character you hate to love. <laughs> Man, there's something about him that just makes me want to root for him, but I don't like it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. But think about that. That's hard. What do you do with that? How do you create that? How do you, you know, so that was the challenge that I set out for myself and for the production. And uh, thankfully, the director and um, everybody else was down with it. <laughs> and it was really interesting. And it turned out to be, you know, this really sympathetic, angry, ferocious, um, legit, fair point monster of a guy <laughs> that was fascinating. Uh, and really cathartic, too, because I was able to really just get into all these different pieces and boxes that I put away and just like, oh, let's see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Put that out there. And so much of it came from a different place, too, because I would have put it all together, crafted it very differently before before I, I was a dad and a husband. Mm-hmm and my ideas about the world and myself and all of these things. And so, and prior to all this, I was really struggling to be honest with uh, coming to my age. Uh, Like most people, I guess nobody wants to get old kind of thing. Right. But I, I was sort of, I couldn't get in my skin suit properly. You know, it was almost there and something was not quite. And so this whole experience with this play, there's something about live theater and the working through it that's different. Mm. You know, day to day you're rehearsing, you try this line this way, this way. And you have feedback that comes back from your other actors and your director. You're, you're talking philosophy while you're doing the lines and would people behave this way and why of the history. Of, and then all of us were Latin of some kind, and most of us were Puerto Rican. So it was that. So there was a lot of fam- familial um, banter and sharing of that work f- from a perspective that only we know mm-hmm. how amongst each other. You know, when we speak our own language. Mm-hmm. So it became really cathartic to uh, exercise a lot of these ideas that we all had about our families and our culture and what was the what's the prettiness and what is the ugliness and what is the, you know, and, and that sort of became a thing too, because oftentimes we want to, um, as ethnic actors, when we, when we're putting on a, a, an ethnic show as a biographical, you know, cultural production, we often try to uh, sanitize it and, you know, put our best foot forward, right. For all the obvious reasons we've talked about forever, but there's also the truth that needs to be told too, you know? Um, and, you know, when, when the sanitizing something um, uh, weigh down the effectiveness of, 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 of those ideas, right? Um, so there was a lot of that, a lot of confronting our own generational patterns and our own, because, you know, we're looking at it through the eyes of these characters and what they're going through. So it makes you really look at your own life. Mm-hmm same time you have to it's inevitable sort of the work hazard uh, so it was fascinating to come out and now like it it's cemented by the end of it having done this play uh this new turn the corner alexis and this groundedness that a lot of people will say i always had but i didn't really it was you know was sort of treading gravel but you yourself personally have found more certainty in that place. I, absolutely. Yeah. 
And as a voice as well, not just physicality or, or looking in the mirror? As a voice? What do you mean? In terms of finding who you are as a performer when you speak, when you, yes. when you yes. approach a part verbally. A thousand percent. And I was able to exercise that. And then, you know, we had challenges too and, and, and different points of view at different times that happens in the process. Um, and I was really proud of, of how we all handled it and how I stuck to my ideas and the other cast members stuck to theirs and, you know, negotiated things through. And, um, and yes, I'm, I very much feel uh, maybe for the first time, my own artist in in a in a real way. The irony is that I'm not running around like fireworks now, trying to mm-hmm. prove it to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was an interesting corner to turn to this sort of not having to prove right. it, having to win and fight all the time. And I, I I hear people talk about like when when they go into interviews and things like that. You know, I they they a lot of people. Uh, turn a corner when when they go you know what screw this i'm just i'm just gonna go in and be me mm-hmm. and not like be off the wall but not no. try to prove yourself to everybody all the time right. and how often people are like well apparently that worked <laughs> and also i think it's something interesting that you're touching on as well because we often ask our i certainly ask myself who am i and it's not just who am i but who am I at right now? Who am I in this period of my life? Who am I going to allow myself to be based on the things that are happening to me, based on the, the, the circumstances that, that befall us? You know, what sort of breathing room am I going to allow myself to be? Set challenges for myself, but also set reasonable expectations as well. I'm not the yeah. same person. We're not, we're not the same person we were yesterday or 10 years ago. Right. And, and some of that, you know, that recalibration has to do also with, um, I say, sort of balancing the books, you know, there's because there's there's things you might examine about yourself that you didn't know you had to examine mm. or you didn't actually have to examine yourself before because you hadn't been living in these circumstances. Mm-hmm. Right? And now you are so that that's sort of what where issues and things that I thought I had settled that were very simple as far as I knew, suddenly came back up in full force. But what I noticed, it, it didn't come back up in a sense that it was triggered by or for that younger person that had issues with it. I was right. It was settled. Mm-hmm. It's that this whole new daddy, Alex, <laughs> has a whole list of new issues about that thing. <laughs> Because I, I have I have stronger opinions about right, <laughs> and now I look at it and go, the hell did I ever tolerate that at all for you right. know? Like now, wait a minute, <laughs> time to bury this one. <laughs> Do you look at in terms of their triumphs and their failures? Do you do you do you relate to your parents more and more? Well, as they say, you know, the older I get, the smarter my parents get. Uh, that's true that's true um i have uh a quest i i keep on forgetting to ask this on camera um and i think that it's i think that it's it's an interesting uh perspective because when 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 we went to the series um 
uh, we learned that Daniel had taught Scara English. Um, and I asked you after an interview once, and I never got it on camera, where your inspiration was for his particular accent. And you told me this this story. I wondered if you would you would tell it again. Um, I'm not sure if it was the same story, if I remember it correctly now. But um, so the the it, it was piecemeal, basically. It came together very piecemeal at the time. Uh, I have a very good ear for languages and for sounds, but that's not necessarily always technically correct. Mm. Um, I'm sort of a mimic that way. So uh, I had known, um, back in the day, I had known a, a, a man who was Egyptian. And, uh, and he had a particular accent. Um, and to me, it sounded very lilty, right? With a lot of little rolling syllables um, in it. And there was something that, you know, that sort of elements of what I take as elements of uh, French Franco uh, influenced uh, in in terms of the sounds and the clicks and things with a more organic um, in the mouth like Spanish is um, or or uh, some Hebrew or right so again to my ear so mm-hmm. listeners don't cringe too much um, as my 19 year old self was taking it so I was, so I wanted to get this this sound that was somewhere in between like him this man that i knew and that's how i approached it um but knowing that this was an ancient civilization and it would be different so i also knew that i had a little bit of wiggle because nobody had ever heard it before and Mm -hmm. um context is everything um Mm. i think today uh there's much more attention to specificity and we have a much more sophisticated audience today. With more sophisticated tools. Right. Right, <laughs> right in their hand while they're watching. Right. <laughs> I, I remember as a kid that it was it was a lot easier to uh to get away with, with accents, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to sort of you know it's sort of like adjacent to and then it's good enough. Um, for better or for worse, like it was a benefit for me in terms of I could focus on other things, but in a, in a larger, deeper way, it was kind of sucked in that, you know, when it came to brown people languages, to most people, it all sounded the same, man. you know, and that's kind of a cold reality, you know, so we could exploit that on the other side of it. Um, to create sounds and contexts that would be familiar for the audience, which ultimately, whatever the sociology is, ultimately I understand my my job is to make the transmission of this story relatable and, and easier for you to grasp and step into. And whatever trick I got to use to make that happen is I'm going to use it, you know, whether it's authenticity, whether it's, reverse psychology mm. own projections <laughs> right smoke and mirrors whatever it's got to be there's the story get told do you get do you get the, the point that i'm giving to you right yeah. creating for you so as long as that that all happens and then luckily i think instinctively i was 
more on the right track than not. And then by the time we got into it, um, we started learning the actual language from the anthropologist on set. And once that started happening, then things started getting a lot more serious where uh, because of what we all did actually know about language in our own act- actors training, we were able to uh, to recreate this language technically and organically and find what the actual right sounds are. Are you talking about working with Dr. Smith on yes. uh, the, the film? Right. What right. a right. brilliant right. man. Absolutely. Holy yes. cow. Just an incredible experience doing that. But we were able to, in real time, discover how people spoke. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't give a whole lot of, you know, like there's always nuance for the, 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 the moment of their day right <laughs> yeah. there's slang you and i have today there's just a you know a, hey 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 whatever it is, <laughs> right it is, it's not always it's exact about today that yeah. nobody the story will ever figure out so you know sans all of that but again part of the real relativity and i think we captured that you know is 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 all the lines in between not just the sound so it's it's in your body movements and like i don't think anybody uh doubted that when you heard the 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 abedonian people talking to each other and partying together that they were really saying stuff and they were relating to people you, you know it's that you weren't just seeing like actors translating lines and you know this sort of stiff right you felt like there were there were things unsaid between these characters yeah. that you're not quite picking up as you're eavesdropping right that life was there so, because that's because we made that relatable to you, whether you understood the language or not. There was like there was a a context going on there, especially you know in that that first dinner scene in the movie. Right. Uh, there's there's layers because as we as we come to find out in the film, Kasuf has been teaching his children actually reading and writing, but can't let the visitors know that because they're wearing the symbol of their right. their evil god you know and it's that I, I we recently uh on wormhole extremist we went back and replayed the film and that it all that there's there's 10 levels happening there you know they're all they're all trying to figure out who we are the 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 air force the air force is trying to figure out what what these people are doing and what their relationship is to this this thing that comes and lands um and it it for a for a mid-90s you know action movie a lot was put into it that yeah. didn't have to be. I mean, when you think about it, yeah, that's pretty legit. And that's what happens when you ha- when you get great people, great professionals having fun, mm-hmm. doing what they know they're great at, and you bring them all together. That's what happens. And it's not, you know, they every piece of it, every person wants to go the extra mile. You know, they they see their part of the whole shining through, and they they. You know, you want to show up for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Lockwatcher wanted to know, uh, and I think you've mentioned this before. Alexis, did you keep the Zippo? Uh, I did keep the Zippo. Um, okay. I don't remember. I don't have it now. Maybe it's in storage somewhere. Oh, I would hope so. That would be worth some cash in an auction. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Where that is. I did keep the. Uh, I kept some of the mining tools. Ah, uh, uh, that I have. Uh, probably the. I have a big 
with a pickaxe and a tube. Oh, that's legit. <laughs> um, Tom CZ11, uh, what was a big um, change from going to the film uh, to the series? Um, you're an ambassador from one to the other now at this point. Uh, Eric Avari would come later, but you were, you know, uh, proof that the DNA from one was existing in, in the new thing. Um, you know, what, what was, I mean, you, you're going from Dean Devlin to, to, and well, Roland Emmerich to Mario as a party. That's, uh, that's quite the leap. Um, not in that regard, it wasn't so much. Oh, okay. Um, I had I I've been re- I'm used to to different directors and their different visions and takes on things already that that uh, that part hardly registered. To be honest, um, aside from by that point, you know, I had had a three four month relationship with you know, Dean and Roland, so I knew that. And I was never able to get to know mm. just just about anybody on SG One that well, right? For that long of time to bond with them, uh, aside from the cast themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, in that regard, it's a much different experience. But then that was sort of buoyed by yeah, I was the ambassador from the other thing, so I had um, I didn't have as much anxiety as I normally would have. Uh, in that kind of a case, uh, because I was like, all right, you know, I already did this. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't really do it wrong. So. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. They like uh, they had to have liked what we did before. Right, right. So what was different was more about the the unknowing of what else would be different. Where do we go from here? Right. That's something I didn't know. and And I wasn't privy to any of those conversations like I used to be on the film and the film itself is a finite thing as story art beginning middle end we're done in four months wrap it up uh completely different on the tv so that was a little weird um and and I was always an awkward kid too you know like I might have been like cool and collected, maybe. I mean, everybody sees a different part of you, and I've been all over That's the true. spectrum for years. But, um, but I was always kind of awkward and 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 shy. Didn't speak to people unless it was through the work because that was my work ethic. Like my work ethic was stronger than my social skills, right? Um, and I get very nervous about otherwise. So I just I fall back on the chain of command and doing the work and it was uh and if you like that and you want to be my friend because of it then cool <laughs> you know but i wouldn't dare step out to try and be your friend not that i didn't want i wanted to desperately yeah i wouldn't dare do it you know so uh so you lose a lot of opportunities to get to know people. On the other hand, you know, it balances itself out too because when you don't know somebody and you don't know how to get to some to know somebody and you are awkward, you end up putting your foot in your mouth half the time. So I saved myself half of those. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, if you're not overextending yourself, you're not going to, you know, yeah, yeah. put yourself in those situations. Yeah, but you know, I, yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because. 
you know, you think about, well, you know, what if I had just asked the girl out, you know, (laughs) where could I be? Right. Right. Well, and then, and and then it turns like, and then, you know, the the girl turns around and goes, he's so stuck up because you never asked her out. Like, well, you know, that's the different direction, but that's what ends up happening. And I've gotten that a lot. I've gotten that quite a lot. People have said that I'm unapproachable and stuck up, all this other stuff. And I'm just No. I'm I'm sitting I, mean, I in believe a, you, but no Dungeons and Dragons, bro. You know? Yeah. It's like... <laughs> this is I, I get it. Um can uh, one of my favorite scenes, uh Vimey Scout wanted to bring this up as as well. Uh the the scene in the um in the in the film uh when uh daniel is sneezing into the handkerchief and nabe takes the takes the handkerchief from daniel and and scara gives it back to him like hey i found this for you do you remember uh-huh. this this scene yeah, walking yeah, yeah. on the dunes yeah 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 um and then later on uh using this to connect to who uh kurt russell's character is looking for um with remember the guy who sneezes and he's and he's mm-hmm. got the was that how much of that was in the script and how much of that was uh just on the fly like let's try this let's see if this works this is uh, this will be a funny scene between O'Neill and the kids as they're trying to find uh they're trying to find Daniel who's currently with Shari I'm not quite sure that I remember I want to okay. say that, that that part of it was plotted okay um and in hindsight, it makes sense that it was plotted because it was a plot point. Okay. It led one scene into the next. Whereas, like, we had a lot of improv, but mm. we didn't improvise the structure of the piece. And we didn't improvise the plot points. Right? We okay. knew there were plot points. Like that we had a script, you know, it, it might have been bare bones in terms of the dialogue and these sorts of things, but there was enough in it to give everybody a sense of place and time and all these things. And, and the events were still immutable throughout. The, the, so mm-hmm. something like that, and I, again, I can't remember specifically, but I want to say that that was plotted and not improvised. Um, that said, the nuances of how it came around and, you know, uh, uh, there was a lot of improvisation in terms of that kind of stuff. Um, uh, not just the delivery, but like how what we would load into a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we load this idea and this idea and this idea and this idea. And then whatever the makeup of the scene would then start chore- being choreographed accordingly with that. To fit that. But we knew that this scene was going to happen even if we didn't know how it was going to happen within it. That a lot of that, I think that, that a lot of that would apply in, in pretty much most work. I would, I would surmise. Not necessarily. No, uh, it, it, it depends on, you know, there's different sort of cinematic movements um, and, and director style. And you saw a lot more of this kind of stuff with, with um, cinema verite and, and, um, and some of the older direct now from you know the the seventies through the eighties who would 
just run out and shoot stuff, you know, and occasionally you'll hear a story about a movie being made by the seat of their pants. There was a lot more of that back then. And, uh, and it was, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, there was some cachet to that, mm. but most films can't be done that way. Um, there's just logistically way too much at stake, um, to actually get away with doing that. And on a big, huge, production with a big budget you definitely can't do do any of that um and if anybody says they did it's a myth (laughs) (laughs) that's like oh the overnight sensation you know that's (laughs) you lose too much money and and these days just and especially now people aren't just aren't making uh certainly not big tent movies Mm. there's enough ways to create content and distribute content so people are making movies all kinds of ways but none of those, like you don't look at those, like it's this big tent movie. This is a theatrical release. It's, like you don't, you 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 know the difference. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Elizabeth Lee, how did you get into the mindset of the battle between Chloral and Scara? Scara was a prisoner for three years, um, and I and I'm curious as to how you approach this because in pretense. Uh, Scar is given an opportunity to speak for himself on the stand. And what he chooses to say is what I suffer each day is worse than death. Um, and he talks about reaching out his hand to kill his brother-in-law uh, in, you know, the, the end of uh, season one, would you just, how would you describe what it was that, that you interpreted Scar as being put through by the, by chlorel was it just a never-ending nightmare and how do you resolve the ptsd coming out the other end um all right so the i designed scara to begin with um along very mythic lines um so he was always he started as an archetype and turned into this mythic figure this ingenue type and uh and it was very uh, uh crafted in that way and it, it sort of you know i was like building a little internalized pinocchio you know and i was geppetto and it was very intentional like it's gonna he's gonna be like this and then i want him to to elicit these emotions and he's gonna stand for this and he's gonna represent that and it was very clear and very solidified and then i just stepped into it and gave it life so by the time we got to uh you know and that's where the work is of like, turning all that myth and this into something relatable and organic so i won't go into the details that's all sausage making but <laughs> uh, but that would be the effect so by the time chlorel came around um it became really easy and it's almost uh meant to be uh, you know like like I couldn't have planned for it, but I instinctively did plan for it. And so as Chlorel came around, it was a very simple matter of taking that and creating his nemesis. So it's, it's the anti-Scara. And it really is that simple. It's complicated in, in the real-time thing, but the idea of it is very simple. I just flipped the coin. So every single attribute that Scara has is just opposite it's just bizarro opposite on the other side 
and as mythic and archetypical as Skara is, so too to became mythic and archetypical arc villain, you know, in Chlorel. And these two things internalized. Look, I'm a philosopher, and I've always been a philosopher, right? Ever since I was a kid, um, naturally, and then I studied it. So this just goes right back to um, every, most human beings' sort of central conflict with themselves, right? And the, the id and the ego and the super and all these things. And since I was a student of that already, all I really had to do for myself was let it play out. In, in in the ring in my head, you know, and and take notes and eat the popcorn and watch all the me <laughs> sort of duke it out. I mean, it's like it's funny enough, but you know, of course, the the, the actual practice of it is is harder. Um, but it serves, you know, it's 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 it, this is the hostile part of our work, the hazardous part, because on the one hand, um, you're on this little hamster wheel you're exercising all of these ghosts and all of these demons and all of these things that people accumulate through life mm. and as actors we are fishermen as well we, like we don't just get the barnacles on us we go out and net some more like let's go look for trouble <laughs> put it in a box save it for later to cry over <laughs> right that's what we do. So, so now that we have, they're like, "Who are our contestants?" Oh, it's Clara, it's Clara. Fight, fights, so, exactly. Man, and you just let your psychology go. Like I've got playlists, like mixtapes for both of them going on. I'll, I'll, like I'll sit, not just for them, but a lot of characters that I do. Um, there are times I have full, just sort of meditation sessions where I sit, you know, in the dark and listen to music and. Was you're like meditating yeah, on the work before a project? Pardon? Like meditating on the work before a project? Yeah, on the character, on the on, right. on okay. his story, on how he feels it, and projecting that and empathizing mm -hmm. the characters. That's always like sort of the greatest tool that I've developed for myself is is my empathic engine to empathize with these fictional characters. Um because I let them borrow that piece of me to get inside of it and look at the world through their eyes and let that affect me and i i understand what they're feeling because those feelings are familiar because i remember when i was betrayed i remember when mm. i was i remember when i was trusted and i remember when i was right all these things and you let that character remember as well So yeah, once you got it, it became simple in that regard. And so I think maybe what was the hard part, if if there's a, a, a from the audience's point of view, it, it's all complicated. But from the audience's point of view, the the challenge is having that fight be expressed in a way that you, as the audience, can see, but only in flickers, <clears throat> like you're in a dark room and there's a strobe light and so all you're seeing is just one frame mm -hmm. of a whole story that's happening in the dark and you see one frame and then it's back to the darkness and your mind has to wonder like what else is happening in that darkness in between those moments of flicker that you see 
And every time you get a glimpse into something, it's hopeful and horrifying at the same time. And you don't want to know what you see in that moment of light because it's too clear. And then it goes back to black. So that's like, these are all the ideas that I was playing with the whole time. Line by line, shot by shot. <clears throat> Which frame of the strobe light is, are we on at that moment? I think that fundamentally, um, the character uh, uh, Chlorel is is pretty darn. I mean, I, when you when you have to stand them side by side, you know, I I would say that that Scara is the stronger ultimately because he's able to hang on in the darkness. Um, I I would have loved to have seen just a, a, an episode focusing on you as just straight up Chlorel fighting. Um, uh, or the, the the battle inside, while also fighting his enemies on the outside. Scar had to have been throwing some punches the whole time. That would have been incredibly cool if if if, if that could be done. Uh, that'd be really fascinating. You know, just line up my enemies. You know, also <laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa MC, uh, who is a dream actor that you have yet to work with? My, 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 my. This, oh, it, oh, that's a good question because, like, how do you narrow it down? And I've worked with so many mm-hmm. already. Um. Anything that you've seen recently that you've gone, oh, I would love to work there's, with them. You know, there's so many, there are great people doing some great work. Yeah. Um, we like people for so many different reasons. Um, I also don't think about it in those terms anymore. Okay. It's more It's more along the line because of what we were, how we started, what we started talking about, more along the lines of, of what kind of a project would I like to do mm. with this kind of a person? You know, so I'll think like, what what would I like to do with Tommy Lee Jones? What would mm. I like to do with Diego Luna? What would I like to do, right, with, right, with these kinds of things? Um, so rather than like, I want to work with that person. Because context, I live in context. Is relevant. Is, is relevant. Yeah. Um, I've had my years and run of tag and, you know, photos of people and, you know, being on set. Like that whole, the mystique of that, the excitement, the energy, like I've had all of that. So that doesn't, um, that's not a thing for me anymore. Um, It's now about like, what can I get out of the the actual story from working with these people so yeah like i i want to work with all of these masters that you know acknowledge our masters too but this is what towards that towards what end and not so much like for me and what okay. can I, not that i can't learn from you of course that goes without saying and so i won't say it because it's not about that for like what i can learn I'm confident in what I bring to like, they don't know who I am. I'm not an A list or a B list, you know, uh, a debate. If I'm on the C list. I disagree, but, I but okay. Up. But I show up and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Every last one of them that I have worked with acknowledges that like, nope, none of them 
you know, will say like, no, nah, he doesn't know it. Like, I step up. So I'm not worried about that. I'm confident in that. So what are we going to do next? And there are a lot of people I want to do on that for all kinds of reasons, you know? And, 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 and it's okay that the shallowest of my reasons is I want to be in a Marvel movie and like do all that stuff. Like, <laughs> cool, man. That's fine. <laughs> well, they're not going anywhere. So sooner and or I would later. I to work with Angela Bassett in a um, Marvel movie. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm on front. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Ter- Tracy wanted to know, what are you binge watching right now, if anything? Uh, so the last thing that I got excited about, like, Andor. 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 How is it? I, I'm i waiting for it to finish, and then I'm going to mow it down. Because that's how I consume. Um, I've heard it's it's some it, of the greatest yeah. Star Wars since Empire. Absolutely. Uh, now, there's there's Star Wars for everybody. Yeah, so that's the thing. Grain of, grain of salt. But this is, I think, the definitive adult. Mm-hmm. So as we were kids growing up with Star Wars, as it first came out, the intensity that we approached it, the way it was so real, yeah. In our seven, eight year old minds. Yeah, it existed. The reality, the stakes of that for that seven year old. Now we turn 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. And <laughs> of course, we look back on it and we're like, it wasn't that important. But the thing to remember is that from that perspective, mm-hmm. it's super important. So I look at Andor now, and I think they made was the sequel to that experience. Mm. So now as an adult, we can look at star Wars and it's, and take it seriously. This is the serious underbelly, gritty adult. <laughs> like how would it actually happen? Right. If this was real. Now that we're all adults and can think about what it would be as if it was. It's Andor. That's great. Boom, right there. And it's it's phenomenal. The cast is amazing. The writing, the dialogue, some of the speeches are just mind-blowing. Um, and it's, you know, it's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. It is, um, it's a spy resistance, um, you know, anti-empire movie. It's uh, ground level. So you have to be there. You're not going to be, there's not a lot of bright colors in it. Yeah. So you have to be ready for it. You can be ready for that. You can go in with this. Empire Strikes Back mindset, um, but like for real. <laughs> I'm thrilled that that Disney. You know? I'm, I'm it's, so, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's I get I, all the feels from it. It's so intense, man. And Diego Luna, God bless him, is, is just killing it on it. Um, he's just he's so easy and right and grounded in the role, even in his anxiety. It's it's all um, just a, a brilliant. Brilliant, deep performance from that was very impressive. I've always been a fan, but great. Have you yeah. seen? Uh, ne- have you taken a look at uh, Netflix's eighteen ninety nine? No, I have not yet. This is the one that's that I'm looking into getting getting hooked on next. It's it's the next like kind of lost kind of mystery box kind of of show from the creators of Dark, which is another great series. Um, you should no, ch- I'm a little weary of. 
of mystery box shows. Though, okay. Um, in general. I, I can understand. So many of them just don't go anywhere. They get lost in loop loops. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Anything uh, on, on the horizon uh, immediately in, in your path that you want us uh, to be aware of? Um, anything out of the ordinary or just... Um... Um, you know, usually I'll plug these things as as they come up. I'm in okay. between, you know, just here with family and taking care of my kid. Yeah. My, my started school this year and um, pre-K loves pre-K. Uh, but there is something that everybody should check out. So uh, I was uh, fortunate to be invited to be part of this uh, called The Unauthorized Off-World Activation. This book, I wrote the foreword for this book. Can you put it a little bit closer to the camera? The, sure. the uh, uh, put it put it in front of your face. Oh, there we go. Okay, oh, sorry. Hang on a second. There it is. Perfect. Uh, is it reading properly on my camera? It's backwards, but can you? Yes, backwards? forward by Alexis Cruz. Look at that. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon, and it is uh, it's an anthology of uh, sh- some short stories, some essays, think pieces. Um, uh, from people connected with the show, um, fans or pro fans, um, and other people, uh, and myself. Uh, and so it's it's an interesting read by a lot of really talented writers uh, and people who have given Stargate a lot of thought. Uh, so pick that up. It's, uh, you can find it on Amazon. Yes. All right. There you are. And it was my my very first foreword to a book, so I was uh, excited about it, being invited to do it, and I, I I think it came out really nicely. So go check that out. Keith DeCandido, Rich Handley, Joe Duffy, Brianna Elkins, Kelly Fitzpatrick, and five others. So yeah, Alexis Cruz. There we go. This is this is great. I think I think Gate World. I think Darren Sumner was involved as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is. Uh, this is absolutely solid. 1999 paperback edition on Amazon right now. And we'll put the link below in, uh, in uh, the episode description. So great yeah. job, man. It's so it's, it, I've, I've always appreciated, uh, uh, having you on in your time. Your, your perspective is always, uh, refreshing and thoughtful and insightful and, um, always excited to see, uh, what you're up to, uh, next. Um, you've, I, Really, really appreciate uh, you being involved with, uh, con- continue to be involved with the fandom. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And you, you do a fantastic job, like just keeping everything alive and pushing it forward. Got to keep know. the lights on. And Amazon's going to do something. <laughs> yeah. So just a matter of when. Yep. So. Yep. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much. And we will be in touch. I'm going to go right. ahead and wrap things up over here. Right thank you, Alexis. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Be well, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Alexis Cruz, Scara, and Chlorel on Stargate. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Um, Paul McGillian reached out to me uh, this past week, and uh, he asked that that I share something from, uh, from his family. Um, uh, this uh, it was posted by Courtney McGillian, Paul's wife, and she's organizing a fundraiser on behalf of Stacy Slonsi. I think this is Courtney's sister. 
she said, my brother-in-law, Mike, needs our help. Just over a month ago, he suffered a massive stroke completely out of the blue and has been in critical condition ever since. Um, so this is a, uh, a GoFundMe for his medical expenses. Um, if you have the ability, uh, please consider donating. Um, and please uh, share this as well. This link is going to be already. You can find this in the description for uh, the show below. Um, and uh, it, it means uh, Paul is a big supporter of, of you know, Dial the Gate and, and our work. And, and is a huge uh, uh, um, Stargate fandom uh, supporter. And it means the world to me uh, that we have the opportunity to uh, help him and his family, uh, his extended family, in uh, a time of need. So I want to absolutely uh, make this... Uh, make this aware to people and we'll be bringing it up in uh the wormhole extremist show tomorrow as well the link in the description is uh below right now so help chef mike beat the odds thank you so much for that um i really want to uh send out a huge thank you to my moderating team tracy um anthony summer keith jeremy Reese, uh, you guys are continuing to to make the show possible on the back end while I work on the front. Um, if you enjoy the work that we're doing and continuing to put out, I'd appreciate it if you click that like button. Uh, it continues to help the channel grow. And uh, if you enjoy uh, merchandise, Stargate merchandise, we have our own little shelf over at uh, the... What, where where have I put it now? It's I'm so out of this trying to get back into the rhythm of of uh, the show. We're at uh, so you can go to dialthegate.com/merch and go through one of uh, our portals here. We've got tank tops, t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies for all ages as well as cups and accessories in a variety of sizes and colors. As we approach the holidays, this may be a perfect Stargate gift for uh, you or a loved one. So I, we, if you want to support the show, this is a great way to do it because get uh, an item and the show gets uh, some financial, a little bit of financial support as well. My thanks to producer Linda Gate Gabber Fury and Frederick Marcou at Concepts Web, our web developer on Dial the Gate, and uh, Jeremy Heiner, our webmaster, who helps me keep the site uh, up and going. Tomorrow, wormhole extremists, we will be covering. Uh, which were the episodes tomorrow? It's going to be The Enemy Within and Emancipation starting at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And we will be watching those shows live. So queue up your DVD or your streaming service or what have you and watch the shows live with us if you'd like on one device while listening on another. And that's that's our game plan there. So uh, Nicole and Evie, we've been getting into the rhythm of this. We've got a long way to go, but uh, it's a good time as well. And so that's the Dial the Gate uh, sister channel, Wormhole Extremists. Uh, that's not going to be on Dial the Gate itself. And I'll be sure to put the link in the description below for that particular episode uh, that's coming up tomorrow. My thanks again to Alexis Cruz. Um, what a guy. A terrific human being. I'm so thankful to have him on the show. And all of you uh, tuning in, watching, please give the show uh, a like. Uh, share it with another Stargate friend. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate, and we'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. 
The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>